Welcome to the Changing Construction Podcast brought to you by Mail Manager, the outlook added created by Arup to help companies get control of their email. Delighted to be joined today by Michael Maguire for the topic which is starting your career in the built environment. So um, Michael, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks very much for the invite. And also another esteemed colleague of mine, Mario Christofides. So uh, hi, hi, Mario. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Michael. Very well said, Jacob. So in terms of today, it's slightly different. We try on these podcasts to talk about something which is is relevant and useful to a, a broad spectrum of people. And the theme really for today is starting your career in construction. And it's one of the things, given what's going on at, at the moment, we are kind of people are hoping in some ways from a recruitment point of view that this could represent an opportunity to I suppose broaden people's minds around what sort of career they might they might want to do so with that in mind Michael why don't you kind of introduce yourself and uh, be as you do that'll be fairly obvious why you're um, relevant to this topic. Thanks I think I've got to put it that my my main job really is um, a lecturer in computer-aided architectural design technology with New College Lanarkshire in Motherwell near Glasgow but I'm also the training manager for the World Skills UK BIM squad, and they are currently training for the World Skills competition in Shanghai 2021. That's great, Michael. So, and in terms of your involvement in industry, I, I know you're, you're kind of part of a, a broader network beyond you know what might be typical for a lecturer or a teacher. Yeah, I mean that's uh, I personally feel very lucky to have kind of got involved. I see it as I'm just a guy from a very small place um, near Glasgow called View Park and now I'm being invited to podcasts such as this really uh, to speak to yourselves. I never ever thought I would end up in education. It was never even something that was on my radar and now I'm responsible for training the young squad of people to go and compete in for Squad UK. So if you think of, I know can I speak about it maybe a bit later on in the, the programme but even speaking about people who train to compete in sports at some point thinking that you're going to go and compete and represent your country. And that's what these three young people are hoping to do. That's fantastic, Michael. Just, so just in terms of your background then, when we spoke before, you mentioned that you've come from a very hands-on background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was in school, I had wanted to be a welder. I've got my uncles seemed quite successful. They worked all over the world, did lots of money. And when you're only 13, 14 year old and you see that, obviously you want you want some of that yourself. So them all being welders, I, when I was at school, decided to choose metalwork. And um, one of my teachers had been a welder and he really backed that. He got the school to buy in welding booths and equipment and he took a kind of liking to that. And he, he spent a lot of time teaching me that kind of stuff. So when I left school, I went into an apprenticeship. And I worked for Scotland's largest structural steelwork fabricator at the time. That was Bone Steel. And it was a fantastic learning opportunity and a, a fantastic scheme working through an apprenticeship. So while you're in the company and, and actually creating um, beams and columns and, and so on, they had us on site an awful lot. And that's really where you learned what it was that you were building, why you were working to three millimetre tolerances, that type of thing. But one evening I was working um, night shift and I remember, I was 24, I remember looking around about the factory and there was guys, I'm 45 now, but there was guys who were 40, 45 year, year old then and I could see them taking 30 seconds to get from a standing position to a kneeling position where they were maybe um, adding on a bracket or a cleat. And I remember thinking at the time, I can't work for another 20 years doing this. It's It looks absolutely 
taking its toll on people's knees and their joints and their back. So when I was 24, 1998, I went back to evening school. I went to what was then Motherwell College. And I did over two years, two nights per week. Paid for it myself, £500 um, each year to get an HNC in computer-aided drafting and design. And that's really what spurred it on for me to actually move into education because a lot of people talk about being in the right place at the right time. I had all the engineering and construction background and I had just learned this new skill. I had an HNC in computer-aided drafting and design. And all the students, or I would say the majority of students that were on the full-time course that were coming maybe three, four, five days a week through the, through the day, the majority of them were actually getting employment within the architectural industry as architectural technicians and architectural technologists. And that was really the catalyst for me getting employed or being asked to go into the college. The college were looking at the course they were doing was quite engineering, quite generic course. The people that were leaving the course were not really skilled in construction. So they didn't understand planning drawings, building control drawings, construction detailing. Uh, they had no understanding of what a foundation was or, or even what wall systems were. So the people that were in charge at the college at the time, they invited me in and they asked if I would consider teaching part-time, to which I, I jumped at that, obviously. And one of the reasons they asked me to get involved was to help develop a new course. And that new course was still going to be computer-aided, but it was going to have a slant towards architectural technology. It was much, much more contextualised towards okay. the types of drawings that people would go out and, and kind of um, create. The, the big one for me was I was at that time in the engineering company. I was back shift. So what the college did was they employed me in the morning. So I didn't have to give up my job. And what it did was it gave them a chance to see if I was actually any good at teaching. Well, really relevant at the moment. Uh, I know as a, yeah. as a parent of two young children, I've sort of come to a conclusion that teachers should probably get paid 500 grand a year or something. So <laughs> as well as the industry background, you must have a fair degree of patience as well. In terms of things you'd say to people looking at or considering a career in construction, I know in the past, I mean, my, my younger brother uh, was, uh, was, was the naughty kid, if you like, at school. And construction was certainly recommended to him beyond, you know, the, the kind of typical routes. And I think it's something which we've talked about in previous episodes, but in the past, it's sometimes been seen as that. So what would you say to people who are thinking about a career in construction at the moment? Uh, personally, that's an easy answer. Just definitely do it. It's, there is some <laughs> sense of accomplishment. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, obviously, with your kind of backgrounds as well. I have listened to some of your podcasts. I think you need to focus on yourselves as well and let us hear what you guys have been doing. But when I worked in the structural fabrication sector, one of the first, when I was an apprentice, one of the first jobs I did was just a supermarket, nothing really fancy, but having a sense of achievement, accomplishment, actually getting to go and see that building being opened and being used and thinking, you know, I, I had a hand in actually making quite a bit of that as a young apprentice. I did all the boring um, bracings. So just about every circular hollow section bracing in that building when you looked up was, was the apprentices. But you're definitely coming to a place where, where there's a lot of accomplishment and achievement when you have something that you can see that's finished and built. But no matter what side you go to, it's very, very varied. I'm obviously more focused in the digital construction and the kind of design and the collaboration side, mm. but on the planning side or the, the hands-on side. 
it's so, so varied. And no matter what your skills are, you'll always find a role that will definitely suit you. But no matter where you go, definitely. And I know speaking to some of the people, you had Dan Roster, for example, that said it, it's got to be very relevant. It's You're coming to a place where your learning will never stop. He was talking about on your recent podcast, bricklayers uh, with augmented reality headsets on. That is coming. We're seeing that happening. So even within our college, we're looking at, we've got the trades, the dry trades and the wet trades, but those joiners and the, the plumbers and the bricklayers, they are moving to a more digital world. And right now, mm. being largely forgotten, I know we are definitely looking at the students coming saying they're digital savvy, but they're not really. They know how to use a phone and they know how to use the apps, but they don't really know how to use it subjectively, let's say. And one of the biggest things for me would be as a lecturer, I think you've got lecturers who are in the dry trades who've been there for a long time. They're really needing to kind of upskill a wee bit. So definitely what we're finding is no matter what, what section you're in, your learning's never stopping now. This is it for construction. It's definitely going to um, snowball from here, really. Well, I think that's a really, really good point. Everyone knows and acknowledges there's a big skills shortage within the industry. And before this kind of madness was going on, that was, um, you know, that was pretty uh, high on the, on the agenda. And, it, and as you say, the, the learning does kind of never stop. So for people who perhaps are, are kind of relatively new to Revit or are maybe trying to get a bit more to grips with it than they were previously, when maybe it was a bit, a bit, a bit easier to be disinterested in it. Uh, yeah. What would you kind of, what would you say to people who are a bit kind of like, you know, God, Revit, it's a beast. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think one of the things I would say, I'm going to be biased here. I'm going, to, I'm going to say go for training. You really need to look at who is offering training though. I personally think coming from a college, colleges are very much overlooked when it comes to training, even especially um, commercially. But we've got quite a lot of companies within our college that we work with. And what we do is we offer, obviously, full-time courses don't suit those types of employment. So what we kind of tend to do is look at your colleges or universities, locally training centres, look for evening classes. You're going to find so much information on the internet. Uh, YouTube is a fantastic place to go and pick up tips and tricks. But I think it's not as structured maybe as it could be. One of the things I know that I've kind of looked at is even if you look at YouTube, some uh, Autodesk's own curriculum content now, if you're a student or an educator anywhere in the world, you're getting access to that for free, and it's very, very structured. But if, if you're looking at something that's maybe YouTube-based, if you're not going to go for a college or a training centre, definitely look for something that's really structured. Also, you, you kind of mentioned it as kind of a beast. Look for the skills in the area that you're trying to pick up or hone. So maybe you're some... Mm a complete novice then obviously look at the lessons that are really targeted towards novice i know that there's i'm making some just now i'm recording around 30 video lessons for that they'll host on their website but they're really pretty i would say intermediate to competent and today i was doing one for my students that's looking at revit 2021 and it's looking at generative design so very apt today looking at yeah yeah, coming back to classrooms where we need two meter distancing and so on. And what Revit 2021 is allowing you to do is actually type in some of these parameters and it will give you, here's 20 options of how the, the, the layout might be. Yeah, well, I think that's really, I think, really important. So, really important. I think, 
a lot of the people that I, I speak to, Michael, that the uh, big Revit users say that, you know, they only really use 15, 20% of Revit. Yeah. I mean, what, what would you say, I mean, what, what's a, what, from your point of view, what's what, one or two things that people probably don't know about Revit they, they probably should? I think uh, even as a, a user, I've got Revit professional qualification through the Autodesk vendor qualification. And it's still one of the ones where I look at Revit and even on the left-hand side where you have the properties bar, for example, occasionally even looking at that or the ribbon and thinking, has that button always been there? People very, very easily just overlook because they go to the buttons that they know. So they very easily overlook the buttons that are maybe there that are going to provide a quicker way to do something or an alternative way to do something. Um, newbies really just miss the tools and the buttons. You just kind of overlook them. And one of the things I would say, and I say this to a lot of my students, play around with it. Don't be scared to play around with it. I know that I had done some training um, with a company that was local to us quite recently, and they were using copy when they were copying things like levels. And when you copy a level within Revit, it doesn't create an associated view to that automatically. It's another step where you have to go and actually do that. So they decided not to do it because they couldn't figure out how to do it and they just deleted it. But very, very quickly just went to that instead of actually just spending some time. If you are looking at trying to learn something new and you've maybe even been using Revit for a little while, Revit is fantastic tooltips. If you hover over any of the buttons that are in Revit, it gives you an expanded tooltip. It opens up gives you an animation of how the button works and it takes you through it step by step and it's like a very short 10 second video tutorial on every single button that's in Revit. So there's absolutely nothing you could do because you always get the undo button if, if you actually break something anyway. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's um, there's certainly a growing number of people. Two areas, really. One, people kind of trying to learn new stuff. But then also, um, we speak to a lot of technology managers who have noticed a big uptick in the engagement in training. I think we all have been sat in a kind of training session. Well, I've run them myself before, <laughs> which go on for a long time. And people kind of say, oh, you know, you always take one thing from it. And I think we do have to set a higher expectation in terms of training and, and kind of uh, teaching people, really. So there'll be people listening to this who try and run those sessions and are noticing an uptick in the engagement of them. But I'm sure you've got some pretty useful ad advice for people in, who are in that position. Yeah, certainly. That's this, this kind of going to um, take away all our work. Right enough, I tell everybody exactly how we do it. <laughs> but we've been really successful, I think, the best way to really focus on that is with industry engagement itself is actually speaking to those companies and asking those companies what their process is, how they work. For example, anytime I'm running training, if it's for a company and they're coming to do a unit with us, one of the Scottish Qualifications Authority units, I always try and get them to send me like-minded employees or, or similar roles. So there's no point sending me somebody that's going to be a BIM manager and half a dozen architectural technicians that are just going to detail all day. So if I want to then contextualise the training towards the group of people, then I think you're really making sure that if I'm organising that training, I'll try and be the person that liaises with the company employees that are organising that as well. Our college does have a business development team, but obviously they're not as clued up on the skills or the mm. kind of training we do. So rather than me speaking to two or three different uh, third-party people, 
speak to the BIM manager, for example, and find out the group of people that you're trying to train and the types of skills that they would want. The other one for me would be uh, making sure that it's very apt, that it, it's kind of valid training. So what I'll quite often do is, certainly through the summer, look at some of the companies that we engage with. And I know that they're going to be sending employees to us anyway. So what I'll tend to do is through the summer is maybe spend a week in their office. Now, I've been out of industry for quite a while. So if I wasn't doing that, then my skills personally are going to drop anyway. It's a good CPD activity for me. And it kind of to the kind of skills that I know that they're needing. If, I'm, if they're showing me their processes and the procedures and their naming conventions, for example, then if I'm going to then take those skills and take them to my full-time students, but I'm also then going to use that in their commercial training. Okay, that's really interesting. So you're liaising with industry, identifying with them where the gaps are and training people up essentially to, to fill those gaps? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that when I came to the college, so 2000, I started in the college, as I said, part-time. And one of the things that we felt even then was I really, really rated my apprenticeship training. And the thing about the apprenticeship training that I had was it wasn't a, let's say, four years continuous course. I went for four years one day per week to a college. And the rest of the time, so four days a week, I was in work and in the factory. And they, they moved me around and I was learning how to do some drafting and design on old big drawing boards, a big template loft drawing um, roof trusses, one-to-one scale that were 30 metres long. We learned how to even unload lorries with steel work that was coming from the British steel factories, learned how to cut them up every single roll all the way through. And what we kind of felt was it's great to learn all the different roles in a, a little bit of context. And even if that's just theory, our course is focusing on producing architectural technologists. So 90% of the course has to be the job that you're doing. So we do teach the students then how to, how to do construction detailing. They're learning how to use AutoCAD. They're learning how to draw a line and how to draw a rectangle and how to draw a circle. But at all points, they're learning this is why you're drawing that line like that. This is why you're drawing that brick like that. Or the rectangle is a brick and so on. But it all then relates very much specifically to those skills. But probably one of the, the biggest things that's ever happened for us was when I started there in 2001, about 2004, 2005, Facebook had come out. And we've got groups of students still on Facebook. We, we've been very active, unlike maybe some schools and colleges where they say, you're not allowed to use Facebook in the class. We're actually quite actively supporting it. And we'll make groups Every single year of groups, our students will join a group. And I've still got access to all that. So what we've always found is any time um, our course is needing updated, and we pretty much say in Scotland, our HNC and HND courses through the SQA will update every maybe five years to keep them relevant. What we try to do is I've got 64, sorry, 46. There are 46 companies that we work with actively. And those 46 companies that we've grown over the past 20 years, all employ students of ours. And a lot of those students now, if you think of the people that I was teaching maybe in 2001, 2002 and so on, 
they're all now running companies as BIM managers and, and, and BIM coordinators and so on, senior designers. So they thought, when we go back to them to say, we are going to be teaching practically based architectural technology, digital construction, what skills would you need? If you were employing somebody today, what skills would you like them to have? And when they come back to you and say things like copy monitor, and then I need to go to that company and say, show me how to use copy monitor. And that's invariably what's happened, and they do. They're, they're very good at giving back. Well, that's, I think that's really, really important. I mean, the, the kind of underlying point from what you're talking about is sort of bridging the gap so there isn't a gap between education and industry. And I know from speaking to you off air that there was, a, you know, you've got a number of examples where, you know, your passion and pride, if you like, for, for kind of how some of your students have, have done uh, come really, really shines through. So I think they'd be just really, uh, I don't know, you want to protect your identity of people, obviously, and not embarrass <laughs> anyone, but it'd be, um, it'd be, it'd be really helpful for everyone to I suppose just hear a bit more about some examples of proactive you know kind of uh, students and proactive yeah. companies yeah absolutely um I wouldn't mention any students by name but everybody <laughs> but and the the thing is the students themselves they don't hold back they will tell us exactly that New College Lanarkshire is as I said in Motherwell we're in a, an area of deprivation it's a, a quite a poor area there's high unemployment and so on we certainly don't expect our students when they come to buy or own a laptop or a computer. So it's one of the things that we look at is the, the kind of area of deprivation. You get students, and the one that I'll speak about in particular came to us straight from school, and he was 16 years old when he joined our college. And the lowest level of course that we offer in the college is a PEO, and it's kind of a it's below our, it's probably level five for us in Scotland. Um, oh, sorry, level four even. And he joined that because he didn't have any qualifications to get onto even our national certificate or HNC. And in Scotland, our HNC course is like year one of degree. So we've got a year below that. Well, he was joining a year below that again. And, you know, he's one of these students that um, he was a nice enough young guy, but he was very lazy. He was sat beside somebody else in the class that was equally as lazy. If they put as much effort into their work as they did as making excuses as to why they couldn't get the work done, they would have been... <laughs> but they sat and they were really there for a skive. They were there because they weren't allowed or they were getting told to leave school and pretty much they were just needing something to do. They weren't getting allowed to stay at home. So they weekly got a kick up the backside now we take on about approximately 20 students in a class. So you get a very close relationship with your lecturers. Your lecturer knows your attendance habits. Your lecturers know your, your behavioural habits. They know when you're trying. They know when you're not. And uh, it's quite a, a kind of small environment, unlike the kind of maybe somebody like that going to a university where you're putting 200 people in a room. They would be lost entirely. So weekly he was getting, or both of them were getting their backsides kicked. And he, they weren't doing any work. They were doing very, very little work. And about, I'm going to say, maybe midway to near the end of that year, the other student left. And, and we then look at the student that was remaining, and we spoke to him and said, look, you've got better potential than this. You really need to try, uh, or you won't be progressing to our Level 5 NC course. And he did. He took the kick up the backside, and he went to the NC and during the NC course, he improved slightly, but really not markedly. And again, he was getting a kick up the backside, uh, maybe not weekly, maybe monthly. 
But again, it was just laziness. What we found was he's just no engaged. And for me, if you're signing up to do a computer-aided drafting and design course, it's like graphical communication at school. You're using Revit and AutoCAD and Inventor. If this is not switching you on, I don't know what would because for everybody else that's kind of in our industry, we're all geeks. We love working in 3D models that you can spin around and, and see what you're modeling. And it just wasn't doing it for him. So we had a word with him and we spoke about the progression to HNC. We spoke about world skills as well. And we showed him these competitions and, and where you could kind of go with it. And you know, it switched him on. That was it. He, from maybe the last month of that NC, he was a model pupil and he was submitting work on time. His work was excellent. What we got to look at is we're taking students that maybe other centres wouldn't have kind of taken on at that point, but he progressed to HNC and our HNC then thinking like that's a year one of a degree. He was a star student. He absolutely shone. His work for the entire was exemplary. You're, you're thinking he's using Revit beyond a level that probably most other people in that class were. And again, at the end of the HNC, um, the guys are given the option that if they pass that, they can go into the year two. And our course is designed in such a way that our HNC and HND give you all the skills that you'll need to go into employment. We don't really see a lot of students progressing into year three, where they go to Edinburgh Napier University, for example, they'll go into year three and achieve a degree within the year. They pretty much go into employment, the majority of them. And wow. Darren, Darren was one of the ones that, that we'd highlighted for that. But we put them forward for the World Skills competition. And so World Skills is like a partnership between businesses, education and governments. And the whole idea about that is taking young people and their hashtag is go further faster. What the idea is, let's give them the right training to push them further in their career much quicker. Actually, the competition is actually based a lot on our course in Scotland, our HNC and HND. So he fit really well into that. And we had, he came within the top 10 in the UK. So we had a competition in New College Lanarkshire. We had a Scottish regional competition. We had at Autodesk University in London, we had a London one. So Middlesex University, London South Bank University and Oxford Brooks University all attended that. And we had another in Salford University. So across the UK, we had three of these big competitions. And if you're looking at their it's universities and a lot of the students that were put forward were masters in BIM level. There's young Darren who's come out of school with nothing. Well, I shouldn't have said the name, should I? Well, of course. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> you haven't said a second name. Right, so there's uh, my young student. And um, he's up against students who had that masters in BIM and he came in the top 10. So we were really pleased with that. But by coming in the top 10, every single student that comes into the top 10, is invited to take part in the national final. So that happened in November, and it happened at the NEC in Birmingham. It's an absolutely amazing event. It is huge. You could not explain the size of this and the number of people that visit. It's a huge career sphere. So there was the young student and the other nine um, all competing, and they get a, an amazing project to work on um, over three days. And at the end of that, he placed third. So you think there's a student... If we looked at that maybe wow. three, four years ago, came from not a great place in his life to finish third in the whole of the UK as an architectural technologist or 
Brad Ben coordinator. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of what are the the first step, if you like, you know, the kind of what are the first uh, roles and initial roles um, students typically kind of um, go into from uh, from working. Yeah. Well, I would say it's definitely architectural technician slash technologist role. And our course, although it's more focused on the architectural side, there are definitely scopes where students go into structural and MEP. Um, I mean, we've got, there's the World Skills Competition, for example, if I go back to that. One of the partners that we work with really closely with that is Baker Hicks. So Baker Hicks are part of the Morgan Sindel Group. And Baker Hicks, locally to us in Eurocentral, they helped design the competition. They also provided the data sets for the competition and they judged the competition. So we had two of the guys, um, Alistair and Gary, that are BIM coordinators and senior BIM coordinators for, for Baker Hicks. They actually came down to the national final and they locked themselves away in a wee room. And while the competition is happening, then they're they are kind of scoring that. And the reason I kind of go back to that was at the end of this competition, they ended up taking four of those students. So they took one into the architectural discipline, one into the BIM discipline. So he is a BIM coordinator. And that was a student I was speaking about a minute ago. And they took one into structural and they took one into MEP. So there was out of the top 10 in the UK, they, they ended up within that one office just taking the four. And it's a very, very varied discipline range. Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, bringing people like that on must mean that they're very, from an employer's point of view, they're, um, you know, we've all hired people with bad habits and that sort of thing. Um, it must be really kind of coachable, moldable in individuals. You certainly hope so, yeah. I think. I really like the way that they pitched it back to me. Um, they put it that it's a talent pool for them. If they're going to be involved, they can see the level. And for them, it's just one big talent pool. They know that the people they're getting are the best in the UK. Great. Really, really good. Well, one of the, the the things which I suppose sparked the conversation off between ourselves was your quiz, which, um, you know, we're seeing a bit yeah. of an increase in these kind of virtual engagement platforms, yeah. if you like. Um, I think, I think <laughs> I for one have had enough of pub quizzes, but, um, <laughs> but uh, why don't you tell, tell, tell us a bit about the, um, the Kahoot quiz? Yeah, I mean, for us um, within education, certainly in the college side, our students love Kahoot. It's almost, you remember being back at school and one of the teachers would roll a television into the room and everybody would think, yes, we are off for the afternoon. We're just going to sit and watch a movie. I think a lot of these students look at it that way, but what they forget is they're actually being assessed. For me, um, we use Kahoot because I can put up a whole bunch of questions. So maybe I'll make 20 questions and put up multiple choice answers to that. But at the end of the quiz, Kahoot generates tons of information. It gives me a big report who answered it first, who answered it correctly. And what I'm able to do with that is actually tailor the rest of the training. So if I look at it and say, there's maybe four or five students that weren't getting naming conventions correct, maybe I need to actually switch back to that and do a little bit more on naming conventions and stuff. But we had the idea, it, was, it works really well in class. Because we've moved now to an online through this uh, lockdown, what we decided to do was me as a lecturer and a training manager I'm kind of looking, saying, I've got the current students and I've got now my past students. And the past students are the students that are now in the BIM squad and they're all now working. I think my current students could give them a run for their money. So the way I pitched it was current students versus the 
the World Skills BIM squad. But obviously I've got really good connections and we said there was we've got kind of 46 other companies and when I put this onto LinkedIn, these 46 other companies, we had about 30 of them feedback and say, actually, we'd like to go to that. We'd like to be involved. So we had people from Canada, United Kingdom, from Scotland and England, uh, Wales, Northern Ireland, Australia were involved, Austria, Netherlands, um, even the Republic Island as well. So we had quite a, quite a large mixture. Not everybody was um, education. We had students from Netherlands, uh, from Eindhoven. We had students from Robert Gordon University up in uh, Aberdeen. We had students from Edinburgh, Napier University, London South Bank, Oxford Brooks. So we had a good varied spread of students from all over the UK. But we did also have quite a lot of companies to be involved. And what was good about that was after it were the companies emailing me asking for the report so that, yes, okay, I might have come 10th, but I want to know where I came in relation to everybody else in my company, which I thought that was quite, that was quite novel. So, um, Michael, just um, from uh, as we kind of start to wrap up, what would be your one or two bits of advice for somebody that, that's um, either wants to get break into the industry or uh, is, is new in the industry? Uh, again, I think it is really, if you're just looking to get in the industry, just picking the discipline that's more for you and then just looking at what's available. There, there are lots and lots of skills shortages, I think, definitely across the entire range of construction and engineering, there's huge skills shortages. So it's really just at, at looking at what's the kind of discipline that would maybe more suit you and then just looking at training and that who is, who's the world leading? Who's the, even if you're staying in Scotland or UK, who is it that's leading in the UK in those kind of specific disciplines? Really helpful, Michael. Um, thanks very much. I suppose just one thing to finish up, you know, what you've talked through around a, the competitions, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know that these competitions existed, to be honest, <laughs> but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that's maybe uh, more of a, of a reflection of me. Um, but if people want to find out a bit more either about world skills or the new college, um, what's the kind of, what, what should they do? Yeah, Google's a good one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> if you Google world skills, I mean, the, the number of skills that are in world skills are astronomical. Um, if you're into hairdressing, beauty therapy, body art, body paint, there's bricklaying, there's landscaping, there's joinery, there's plumbing, and now there is also BIM. So that's how I got involved in it, um, building information modelling. So you could just Google it. If you want to look at a particular skill, you'll find it on their page. And again, yeah, if you look at New College Lanarkshire, .ac.uk. If you go and Google that, you'll find it. Within our courses, you'll see that we offer uh, a lot of kind of construction courses as well, if you are in this local area. But obviously, I'm kind of looking at the area I'm in is digital construction or, or building information modelling. So I definitely, I think I'm biased in that. And, and it's one that I would kind of certainly look at. For, for us particularly, we look at the number of students that we have coming in and the number of jobs that are there and the number of partners that we work with. And I think there's definitely a huge market. So it's definitely, I, I would kind of focus on that. I believe this leads to, uh, you know, more conversations around from a kind of educational point of view in terms of obviously, you know, industry sharing more with you in terms of what's important to them and naturally getting access to it, as you say, the yeah. talent, talent pool. So and that's, really, that's really a, that is a huge one for us. I mean, I look at it and say there are a lot of partners that we work with throughout the college. But it's, I know you guys, can, uh, mail manager is, is kind of linked to Arup. And um, it's something that we don't, we don't have any kind of connection with Arup or even some of the other kind of major kind of contractors. 
Um, and for me, I would like to see them, the likes of Baker Hicks and, and Morgan Sindel, um, definitely kind of back that side up. And they get that, they get a lot kind of back from it. I would like to see companies, if you've got apprentices that are in the kind of BIM side or even the trade side, actually putting your apprentices forward for it would be a great way forward. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Michael. Really good to kind of have a different take on on a different topic, really. So probably one which isn't, you know, isn't, isn't always covered a lot in, in um, on podcasts like ours. So, um, yeah, thanks very much for coming on, Michael. And thanks, Mario, for your time as well. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for taking the time out to speak to us. No, thanks very much for having me. I enjoyed it.